And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Robert Aho, author and Buddhist who has had two near-death experiences, and today we're going to learn about them. Robert, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for, for inviting me. All right. If you don't mind, let's start with your first near-death experience in 2016 and go from there. Sure. I, um, I was um, in, in 2016, I was in the hospital and I was having a heart procedure. And uh, when, I, uh, when I arrived at the, in, in the uh, procedure room, I, um, lots of people around, a lot of, lot of machines, a lot of, lot of uh, bells and whistles going off. And uh, I was given my anesthesia to, you know, at the beginning. And I, I waved, waved goodbye. <laughs> and next thing I know, like that fast, I was instantaneously transformed into pure light. And I was that way for the only way to describe it. I was that way for an eternity because in that condition there, there's no time. There's, there's just this essence of light, this awareness, this love and compassion and I became that light. And I remained in that, in that state of existence, um, inseparable from the light. Nothing distinguishing me from the light. It was all oneness, everything. And very wonderful. Uh, so, and, and I, it was so amazing, uh, so bright so incredibly intense there there's really and and even more than that uh, if it was a million suns right here surrounding the earth it wouldn't be anywhere close to that bright um and in reality it was it was completely indescribable the the that's sort of touching the very surface of of this this condition of bright light being this luminosity um and and i i often use the term timeless luminosity um but i i remained in that condition for an eternity now this doesn't make sense when you're a, a human being in a body living in a world that we, that we uh, gauge time and we have our own spatial concepts and our materialistic concepts all of that the light uh, was not only everything it was beyond everything it was it was it was so amazing that um, I can't really even point to it I can say it was bright light but pointing to it or or giving long, long, long explanations of what that is, it, it still doesn't help us because we as humans, uh, we delve in ideas and concepts. This was beyond concept and it was beyond ideas. And so um, that condition uh, in, in previous discussions, 
that I've had with people. Some people say that's the source. Some people use the term God. Some people use the term Dharmakaya. That's a, a, a Buddhist term that describes this condition um, and, and other, you know, other ways of describing it. But in reality, nothing, no name whatsoever is possible to e explain what that is. So it's so far beyond everything in the universe that uh, our human minds just, we can't grasp it. We have, we have this uh, innate need to explain everything. This is not explainable. So I remained in that condition for an eternity. And slowly I started to notice there was like a splash of color, sort of a dull area. And uh, so this, I noticed this when, while I was still the light. And so it wasn't this person here, me seeing it. It was, it was this everything expansive, luminous condition, noticing that. And so I, paid closer attention to that, that dull area. And uh, it started, I start, it was like I was starting to manifest as a person again. And so I noticed uh, lots of colors, lots of swirling, uh, vibrating uh, forms, lots of rays of light shooting out from every direction and just a tremendous amount of energy. And so when I was in that state, when I started to notice this, this, um, this area, this very, very, very small area, um, I started to remember that I had once been a person. And it seemed like this very vague, distant memory you know, what, what was that? I, I could hardly remember what that was. And so I moved into this, this field of, of colors and rays of light and sound too, uh, very, so very strong sounds. And I was very at ease. I was very relaxed. Uh, it, it didn't freak me out or anything. I, I was prepared for this. Uh, this, this is something that uh, makes sense uh, if you if you practice meditation if you practice the the um, uh, you know how to deal with uh, all sorts of things so um, but I wasn't yet me I wasn't yet myself I was still part of that oneness so being that light uh, that's all so there's there's just one there's just that's it and you, you can't i don't even think you can make that assertion because it's just everything and it's beyond everything so i moved into this field of energy and color and sound and i started to think about this person i had been and i remembered that i'd been in a hospital and that i had a problem with my heart and 
So I started to think, well, maybe I should go back to that. And I didn't want to go back to that. As I, the more this person started to re-manifest or appear uh, in that field of, of existence, um, I thought, oh, it's so painful to be alive. It's so painful to make your way through life, all this suffering. And why would I want to go back? But I knew instantaneously that I had to go back. I had to tell people uh, about uh, this reality beyond. I had to help people. I knew I needed to help people any way that I could. And it was so, so painful to think about that. But um, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to go back. So I started to do mantras and I did mudras, you know, these different, um, different hand gestures that uh, you see with a lot of Buddhists and um, a lot of, especially with, uh, with monks, monastics and teachers, of various sorts, kenpos in the Tibetan uh, in the Tibetan to Buddhist traditions. And I started chanting mantras, uh, some that I knew, some that I still don't know where those came from. Uh, I, I started to have an understanding that some of these things were coming to me from previous lifetimes. And I started to have a sense of previous lifetimes and the expanse of time and realizing that oh that's fabricated that's something we as humans fabricate we you know we create this this um this existence for ourselves or we explain things in our own way so i spent the next hundred years very intensely doing these these mudras and there were many mudras that I, I don't really know what they are. I don't know if I've seen them and mantras. And I, I just stayed in a, in a state of, uh, of concentration, just thinking about this person that I needed to refabricate. And so I did that. I, I um, started to think, okay, well, I, I was like this, I was like that. Um, my personality was this way. I looked like this. And the point of that was um, it, I needed to fabricate myself in a way that didn't shock people. I needed to be something that they expected. If, if I was something unexpected, um, you know, if I just reappeared like a being of light or something, which I, I could have. I mean, everything was possible in that state. Um, but if I would have done that, it would have just freaked people out and they wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to help them. So I needed to reappear in this, this very, uh, very uh, sick body and, and, uh, and in a way that people understood and in a way that they expected me to be. And I knew that if I could do that, I could create within this, within this, um, this person that I had been. Um, it was better to do that than it would would have been to uh, go on to another life, because um, I I have the 
the um, background. I have the knowledge. I've been writing for 40 years, you know, and I knew uh, my first degree was in anthropology, but I studied uh, a lot of Western cultures as well. So I, I knew that, you know, I was ready uh, to uh, be able to communicate. And I'd received teachings from some some of the world's greatest uh, Buddhist teachers. Um, and so I, I knew I was prepared. Uh, my root teacher was Nam Kainar Bu, uh, who was a, he passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, widely regarded as one of the great Dzogchen masters. And uh, which is, Dzogchen is a, um, it's uh, one of the uh, vehicles of, uh, of, uh, of in Buddhism which would be a whole other discussion <laughs> and uh his holiness the dalai lama and and others uh very very wonderful teachers i was very fortunate that way and so i knew that okay people are expecting something more of me than what i've actually given the world so i remain very focused 100 years and and i say 100 years because it I, there wasn't really the sense of time like we have on earth, but it, it was, it was like an entire lifetime. And all I was doing was mantras and mudras. And of course I didn't have a body, <laughs> you know, so how I didn't have hands, but I could feel it. You know, it was like the energy was doing that. I, I, that's come up in a number of discussions that I've had in, in different talks. You know, how did you do mudras if you didn't, you weren't back in your body? And so it was like a whole lifetime. And, and when I think lifetime, I think, you know, a hundred years, you know, it might've been 75, I don't know, but a uh, long time. So I was doing that and I started to notice way off in the distance, I could see this little tiny, tiny little dot in this field of the swirling field of colors and light and oh, I actually, I'll show you. I'll show you something here. This um, this is a painting that I did afterwards, and uh, it's on my book Timeless Luminosity. Uh, so you can you, know, you can see it on on the Amazon website as well. But um, so this, I, how do I how did I paint that? How would I paint the experience? So there was this massive bright white. I could have just done a a, a white canvas. That would have really with a dot down here that would have explained it um but i i did it this way because it kind of does with me i i didn't go down a tunnel but coming back i was instantaneously in this light but coming back i was uh it had this this feeling that was a little more like a tunnel especially as i got closer to my body so here's this this um these swirling uh eddies these colors um i some of these I, I, this blue one i was thinking about there may have been like a like a heaven there on the edge of the light and there are other types of existences things that are more part of something a person might imagine but it it, it felt very real it felt more real than anything on earth feels. And then way, you know, way down here, there's this little, in this sort of dark area, there's a little, little dot 
And that's our entire universe. So by comparison, the scale of all of this, the, the, that little dot was this massive thing we call our universe. And so I was sort of aware of, of all the different things uh, that we can encounter uh, in our mind, all the things that we can imagine, the essence of it. But I didn't fixate on it. I just had a sense of the essence of everything. So like people have asked me, well, did you, were you aware of, of life on other planets? And um, I had a sense that there was life everywhere, but I didn't fixate on alien life. It wasn't important. My focus was one thing. It was to come back into my body so that I could communicate to people about what this, this life is all about, what this existence, what our real nature is. And so I, I did that. Um, I, I, I focused and went through all of that uh, tumultuous area, which by the way, if I hadn't been able to relax, probably would have been very terrifying. A, a lot of it would have been, but I, I was unconcerned. I simply relaxed and I focused on my body. And then I, at some point, I could, I could sense this, the sounds of people talking. I couldn't quite hear what they were saying. I could hear maybe some kind of beeping sound, some, you know, it was like, it was hospital. It started, occurred to me, those are hospital sounds. And I, I got closer and closer and then I became aware of, of where my body was and I could sense my hands were, were kind of doing this a little bit and I was still doing these mantras <laughs> and I heard uh, one of the nurses said, well, well, you know, I'm doing, I'm kind of doing this. I'm still, I'm still out. I'm not really even in my body yet. I'm still, I'm sort of like having this OBE trying to get into my body. And uh, um, this nurse said, well, well, what is he doing? What is that? And, a, and another nurse said, oh, I think, I think he must be a Buddhist or something. And right then I popped into my body and I, I mean, just popped into my body and I started to laugh and I said, you could be right. <laughs> and everybody, the whole room, I mean, there were people in the hallway, there were all kinds of nervous people trying to get me to live again. And, and here I, I came out of it and then I laughed and they laughed. And I, I could see my doctor, the, my cardiologist was standing right there and he had sweat pouring down his face. He was about as, about as nervous as could be. I think he thought he was about to lose me or something. And I looked at him and I said, could we do that again? <laughs> he said, no way. You are never doing this procedure again, Bob. No way. <laughs> and everybody just laughed. And, uh, and so I, I said, uh, you know, I, I think I died here. Uh, how long was I dead? And um, the nurse who was there uh, next to me said, well, you were you flatlined for about five minutes. And she, I said, could I, could I see the thing? And, and I looked at it and it was, 
it was just flat, 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 you know, and, and then she says, oh, see right here, your heart just sort of barely started to pump. It twitched a little bit. And then over here, it twitched a little bit. And here it was a little stronger and here a little stronger. And so, yeah, you were flatlined for, you know, a good five minutes, she said. And I said, well, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And so, so, uh, uh, I, after that, I, uh, I, um, I started to write, <laughs> I started writing poetry and, and, uh, I was keeping it very quiet to myself. I didn't, uh, I didn't really want to tell anybody at first, but I kept remembering that, you know, this is, this is why I came back. I need to share this. This is why. And so I really focused on uh how do i bring benefit to people how do i how do i do that and so i so i started to i started to write and uh, i did this painting that i just showed you and uh and um spent a lot of time meditating a lot of time in contemplation about what this is and I, I've been very, uh, I would say, cautious and very careful to make sure I'm explaining things well and making sure that I explain it in a way that people understand that um, I'm not really, uh, I'm not uh, proselytizing or advocating that people become a Buddhist. What I am telling people though is that their own spiritual practices are precious and that all spiritual practices are really looking at the same thing. We're looking to awaken to that light. And so I'm, I've been able to talk to a number of diverse groups. Um, I, I was invited to speak at a church uh, this fall. Uh, they want me to come back next month. Um, they want, they want to hear more. I've, I've been speaking to scientists who study, uh, near death experiences, uh, Buddhist groups. Um, I've been uh, speaking in front of a number of Buddhist groups and, um, you know, leading, leading them in meditation and, uh, providing teachings, just like what I'm saying today is actually a teaching. This is, this is uh, pointing at this underlying condition that we find ourselves in this this timeless luminous state i mean that's that's who we really are we all this other stuff is what we imagine it's what we fabricate for ourselves and we, we have a hard time letting that go because uh we spend a lot of time fabricating ourselves and you know trying to find ourselves and and in in reality it's very simple we're we're already in that timeless luminous state and that's here that's not that's not actually out there at the end of a tunnel it's here now boom and when we start to realize that all our spiritual practices all of our uh, all the things that we have done to uh, maybe it's we've 
we've become a member of a religion, or maybe we go from religion to religion. A lot of people do that too. Um, that all of that has to do with our, our spiritual uh, reality that we are, are generating and that we are trying to awaken, you know, within ourselves. I think, you know, maybe that's why um, people, you know, they, they make big life altering decisions from time to time and, you know, go, you know, sit on a mountaintop or they, maybe they just quit their jobs and, and uh, decide to go traveling, you know, whatever it may be. It's, it's part of that spiritual um, life that's uh, not constrained by any institution or religion or ideology or concept that's it's the the innate state that that we want to go back to that you know, a lot of people refer to that as going home so um i think it's it's really important that people understand that um this experience that i had was probably i would say it's it's as intense of an of a death experience as you can have without actually dying completely. It was as far as a person can go. And uh, I think there was nothing left hidden when I, when I had that experience. Everything was shown. Everything was obvious and simple. It wasn't actually complicated like we humans like to make everything. <laughs> it was very simple. Thank you for sharing that experience with us, Robert. Yeah. Um, just to finish off your NDE, what did the doctors think about your experience when you told them? Well, my, uh, my, uh, cardiologist, um, he was very interested. Um, he was, uh, he actually wanted to buy a copy. He bought a copy of my book, Timeless Luminosity. And, uh, we've talked about it a little bit. Um, yeah, he's, uh, uh, he got, he, he got a kick out of the way I responded and he remembered, you know, he remembered that experience mm -hmm. <laughs> because usually, uh, people come out of these heart procedures and they're not saying nice things. <laughs> they're a little bit upset yeah. <laughs> <say> the worst <laughs> to say the least, you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, a big shock to the system, you know? And so when you, when you, uh, regain regain consciousness, you're, you're typically not, uh, not a happy camper. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I don't think anybody really, uh, expected that. Um, but I haven't, I haven't spoken to him about it in depth, but, uh, we've, we've, uh, I've had uh, a number of discussions with him and it's been, he, he's been interested. He was, he found it interesting. And so did the, the, uh, nurses that were, that were there. They were, they were very interested in what that, that was all about. What parts of your experience confirmed Buddhism for you? Oh, well, I, I would say now um, for, for those who understand uh, like the Tibetan Book of the Dead or who have read it or attempted to read it, it's a very challenging work. Um, the... Uh, the I came out of this with great confidence. It was um, it was something that um, I had been uh, introduced to the nature of mind, which is uh, which happens with Dzogchen. Uh, there's nine 
uh, nine vehicles in uh, according to the Nyingma traditions in Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, and I was a Dzogchen practitioner. So I had, I had gained uh, the knowledge and um, I had decided upon a specific path. I had been practicing. So now through this Dzogchen meditation, you actually are able to, um, uh, what's the easiest way to put it? You sort of gaze upon the nature of mind, but you do that continuously. You're, you're, you always carry that as a present awareness throughout your life. Now, when I had this experience, uh, I was, I became extremely confident. I mean, it's not, I mean, the, the, this is, uh, this is direct experience with reality. Now, this was not a dream. This was not um, something I'm imagining. This was direct experience with that ineffable light. So that's the whole point of Buddhism is to awaken to that light. That's the whole point. That's why people meditate. It's not about uh, religious constraints or belonging to this group or that group or, you know, reading lots of books, which Buddhists do read a lot of books, but it's not about that. It's about simply awakening. That's the, that's the only thing it's about. So when I became that light, that was my, my mind had instantaneously entered the nature of mind. And that was a timeless condition. That was all eternity. And uh, so because of direct experience, that confirmed everything that I had ever studied in Buddhism um, with, with the caveat that sometimes I would, I would say I might look at certain practices in a way like, well, that's, that's a lot of imagining going on because like with the Vajrayana practices, the different types of Vajrayana practices, you, you visualize um, all sorts of things here. <laughs> it's a transformative, uh, these are transformative practices. So um, they're meant to kind of loosen up your mind, you know, and to get yourself ready to experience some, some things that might, you know, scare the bejesus out of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, and a lot of people just can't handle the Vajrayana. It's not something you just sign up for. It's a commitment to dealing with everything. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult path to be on. Now the Dzogchen is, Dzogchen itself actually means nature of mind. So that's practicing with the nature of mind. So um, Dzogchen practitioners are sometimes called sky gazers because they'll sit in a sunny place and they'll, uh, I mean, you got to squint so you don't damage your, your, your eyes, but you're, you're gazing at, at a, the bright sky and that's reminding you of your true nature. And there are other practices that are kind of like that, that um, uh, are meant to help uh, us to realize it. Now, Dzogchen, you've got to kind of get ready for it. You know, it's not, you know, you could just start practicing, but it's, it's not like you just, you know, sort of sign up to join a church. It's, it's more like you're, you're, um, you, you have to be ready to accept it. And so sort of that, that, you know, be able to accept that light completely, 
you know, open your heart and mind enough so that you, it, you know, that, that light becomes a direct experience in your daily life. So it confirmed everything I'd been, uh, been learning, uh, in Buddhism, all of the teachings from the, from the very first day when I was learning how to listen to my breath, when I, uh, meditate, you know, just listen to the breath. That's like sort of the basic uh, uh, meditative practice. Uh, all the way through the Vajrayana and, and into Dzogchen. And uh, uh, I have no doubt whatsoever. And it's not, uh, this, this, it, this doubt has, uh, the, the doubt has gone away completely and it wasn't replaced with blind faith it was it was it was cast away through direct experience of that light i mean just without the a shadow of a doubt it was just very obvious and it's part of my my daily life everything about it when you were in the light do you feel like you were receiving healing well i i wouldn't say i was in the light i would say i was the light and that light is healing it is unlimited love and compassion. And yes, so that was healing. Um, and I, I would say that uh, it was something that um, just me talking about it heals people. I, I've had people say some very incredibly wonderful things to me, you know, after I've, uh, after I've uh, spoken. And I think it, um, just knowing of that, that all pervasive love, compassion that we can awaken to in our life, that has healing uh, properties. Um, I, I also, um, I had, I had, uh, uh, I have also practiced other healing type uh, meditative practices, which, uh, you know, again, that, that could be a whole other topic, but uh, that in Buddhism uh, from my root teacher uh, that had some amazing uh, results. Uh, my, my root teacher, Namkainar Bu, had an incurable cancer. He was supposed to die in the mid nineties and they did everything they could and gave him two or three doses of chemotherapy. And uh, they wanted to do more chemotherapy. He said, I'm sorry, we're done now. And he started doing this very intensive healing practices. And he became the first person ever to become uh, healed after having this type of cancer that he had. It was a kind of a uh, extremely aggressive form of leukemia. Mm. And so he was the first person ever to, uh, have recovered from that. And he just passed away two years ago. So, I mean, he lived, uh, he lived for quite a few more years and that was after doing some very intensive, um, uh, healing practices. That was the Mandarava practices that he, that he did. Mandarava is a, um, is a well-known figure in Tibetan Buddhism. After you first came back, was there any period of disappointment or depression because you're back here and you didn't want to be here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was it it was pretty horrible at times. Um, even though I had great confidence in our real condition, there was this yearning to be part of that light again. And also, I I still struggle with. Uh, I mean, I I try to write every day, but I struggle that with this notion that you know maybe nobody's ever going to get helped by my work. Maybe it's complete futility. So I, I struggle with that, that notion of, of uh, futility. And, but then I, I realize, you know, I'm still part of the light. I'm still, I'm still that light. I'm just in a human existence. Uh, and there was also a, a quite a long period where I didn't want to talk to anybody about it because um, this knowledge in uh, Buddhism is considered secret. And, but I was writing about it, but I, I didn't know if I really wanted to share with anybody, but I, um, I came to the understanding that, well, you know what, we've all experienced this light. We experience it in our daily lives. We have these little flashes of light from time to time. And we're, you know, we try to grab a hold of that and then it disappears. That happens to everybody. Now it happens to all of us when we die. And I mean, it's it's part of this cyclical existence that we're in. So we're 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 all we've all been, and, and you know maybe this is sort of getting into belief, but I I could see this that we've all lived and died an infinite number of times. We keep coming back to Earth. We keep we keep remanifesting as a being of various sorts, not necessarily human. And it, it has a lot to do with our state of mind. Uh, we've all been in any number of beings. And this, um, this is something we're all familiar with. So when that occurred to me, I thought, well, okay, so we're all familiar with this. Okay, then this notion of it being secret is, is uh, not necessary. And then I discovered my teacher, my root teacher, Namkai Narbu, said the same thing. He said that that you know it really uh, it it shouldn't be secret. We should all we should all have a connection in our spiritual practice to the Dzogchen. Should all be connected to this idea that we can once again become the light. This is not this is not something that needs to be hidden from anybody. This should be something that's that's greatly announced. Um, institutions tend not to like to hear that. Hmm. And that that's a problem. So um, I'm, I'm kind of, okay, maybe I'm coming from a Buddhist point of view, but I'm not, uh, I'm not saying things that uh, institutions are jumping all over themselves to support. <laughs> because, because institutions kind of like to keep people in one spot. And, and, uh, and when you realize that you are this light, that you have unlimited freedom, that you're actually indestructible, there's nothing to be afraid of. Okay, nothing to be afraid of. Well, well, institutions don't like to hear that. They like to hear, you know, that, okay, here, stay in this line. You know, let's, let's all, uh, let's all do the same thing and don't, don't, uh, don't question anything. 
well, you know, that just doesn't work. I mean, I mean, if we wish to awaken, we have to actually question everything. You know, if we want to become the light again, or to be aware that we already are the light, then we have to actually uncover the truth, which means you can't, you can't start adopting things that are not true. You have to try to become more uh, truthful to yourself. You have to keep uncovering the, the lies that we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves lies all the time. You know, it's just half of them are just to get through the day, hmm. you know, and, and so we have to stop doing that if we want to awaken and awakening means you're actually paying respect to your own spiritual path. It doesn't mean you need to go be a hermit somewhere or, or, you know, live in a cave or, or, you know, on top of a mountain. It means you need to be true to what you intuitively feel is right and be respectful of that. And the, the guiding light there, you know, literally is love and compassion. So we, we have to start by feeling this love and compassion towards ourselves with the innate uh, um, uh, with the innate uh, desire to awaken. So the innate desire to awaken feel with the with the background of love and compassion. That's uh, in Buddhism, that's the, the term for that is bodhicitta. Now when we become the light, that's ultimate love and compassion and it cannot be described. It's, it's beyond anything that we can really fathom, but it's the same. So we, we can sort of start by aspiring to be good people, to be kind. Uh, that's the, a good first step, be, you know, being kind to yourself first, maybe. That's the first step. And then you gradually increase that to other people and all beings. And then it, at, that opens it up. So that I say that's the key to the to all spiritual practice is bodhicitta. And you don't have to be a Buddhist to, to use that key. That key is for everybody. You know, all the great uh, masters, all the great teachers of all religious traditions, they talked about love and compassion. That's the key. A couple of things I hope you can comment on. Um, I feel like through most of your experience, there was like a death of the ego. You forgot about yourself. And second of all, I find it interesting that you use the word fabricate, like when you had to refabricate yourself or people have to fabricate themselves. And I feel like there's kind of two definitions of the word fabricate. One is to like, you know, if you kind of like creating a lie or fabricate or using it more like to create or manifest? Well, I, you know, I'm, I mean, I suppose both definitions uh, would be the same. Uh, but I don't think it should be, I, I suppose the connotation of saying it's a lie is maybe a bit harsh. But what we do is we create identities we put labels on everything. We say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Lutheran, so I have to go to a Lutheran church, or I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm from, uh, you know, I'm, I have ancestors in Greenland, so I'm, now I have to be a 
uh, I have to learn how to hunt seals and things like that, right? Well, you know, and, and all of these things, the identities uh, that we carry, our, our families apply our identity to us, our, our community, our country that we're from, all of that, those identities are part of that fabrication. And then uh, there's the self-image. How how do we uh, what what are what are we supposed to look like? What are we you know what are you know what what's the image that we have? What what do we look like? And um, so uh, we do create that. You know, it's something that we ourselves create uh, without realizing that we're creating that because we could, you know, we could suddenly start acting like a different person. And then they would say, Oh, there, I think there's a medication for that. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and it's, it's, well, uh, we created the person that we, we are right now. Our, our personality is part of our consciousness. It's also related to the conditioning that we're a part of in the society that we live in, you know, all these things, they, they, all, this strong network of interactions uh, sort of play into that fabrication. So it, I mean, it, it, in its essence, it is actually a lie because, because our real self is that timeless luminosity. But here we are, you know, sort of playing the role of this person that we think we are, but this isn't the person, this isn't who we really are. This is who we've, we've created and we continue to create, you know, we, we decide, well, what kind of clothes am I wearing? You know, what, how do I decorate the room I live in? What sort of house should I live in? What's the, you know, what kind of a car should I drive? You know, all this stuff, it plays into that fabricated person that we create but that's not who we really are you know that's that's just all this stuff that we we cling to it and then as we get older our body starts to fall apart you know i've got this heart condition i've had i'm a cancer survivor uh, i've got other medical conditions it's like this body of mine is just falling apart well you know kind of the typical uh reaction is you get a little angry a little upset that you're getting old and you're falling apart and and uh you know everything pretty soon everything you've got is going to be gone and and you can't you can't take any of it with you and you know with me it's like oh this is okay i i, I can handle this this is fine this is you know but i prepared for that um i i prepared um you know both uh, my own personal meditation and i more more than anything i i am a reclusive uh practitioner you know i live in a forest i i don't i don't uh really care to go anywhere <laughs> i i'm just perfectly content to just sit and meditate here I, either inside or or outside in the forest and uh I have, I mean, I, sh I should say I, I have gone to re Buddhist retreats and learned POA, which is your back, basically POA uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, that's practicing death. You're practicing this process of death and it, it doesn't contradict, it doesn't contradict the experiences that I had. I mean, it's, you know, maybe uh, one thing that it, it 
is not the same as I didn't encounter some of the beings, uh, the Buddhas and, and others that are, are mentioned in the POA practices because I had a Dharmakaya POA, I had a Sambhogakaya POA, the, the, and then a Nirmanakaya POA. So the Sambhogakaya is those colors and swirling, you know, the energetic dimension. And then the Nirmanakaya is back to our physical dimension. So um, we, humans typically can't perceive Dharmakaya or Sambhogakaya, we only perceive Nirmanakaya. That's that's our physical dimension, and those are the those are the words that are used for that. And uh, so I prepared. I prepared for for that. Since we're eternal beings, and you said that we're indestructible, and we fabricate this illusion that we live in, would you take it as far as saying that we're basically all godlike? Um, okay. I, I see gods as being another type of being, uh, just a, uh, sort of a different version of a human. Um, I would say that, uh, and, and that's, those are Buddhist teachings. Um, and, but I see that I, I saw that. So I, I wouldn't say we're, we're godlike. I would say we are um uh i would say we're indescribable in our essence so a, a god is usually a person can describe what that god is like Okay, sometimes they're invisible, sometimes they take on this form or that form. Um, there's, I mean, when you look at Buddhism and Hinduism and, you know, all the different religions, uh, even in Christianity, there's different descriptions of what God looks like. So some, some, when I say it's the same as God, I would say that uh, that is only if we're talking about God as being unlimited and and light and indescribable uh not if we're saying god is like a man sitting on a throne you know a man sitting on a throne like odin uh that's a being that's that's a type of being and i i i mean i think we share uh the past we've all been gods we've all been hell beings we've all been uh we've all been animals we've all been uh, you know, beings of every sort. And, uh, uh, but when we are a being, a sentient being, we're in a confused state. We're not realizing our indestructible nature. So um, Buddha Shakyamuni uh, actually traveled to heaven to teach gods how to awaken because the, the natural progression uh, of a god even though gods live for many eons, uh, all of a the sudden they, they haven't, there's an end to that. And they, they realize they can't remain in that blissful state forever. And so then they're, they get angry and anger is the doorway to the hell realms. So that's, that's a Buddhist teaching. And so um, I was only vaguely 
aware of these different realms. I mean, just the essence is what I what I could see the God realm and the hell realm, and, you know, all these different realms. And I would say that um, we are uh, in that we are indestructible. Uh, gods are indestructible, humans, animals, every being is indestructible, but it, it's our real nature that's indestructible. Our bodies are just, uh, they, they do fall apart. You know, I'm living proof. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this, uh, this body, but the, the, um, the, our essence is that timeless luminosity and that's what's indestructible. So we just need to awaken to that. And then we, then we can realize it in our, in our life. We just right. need to awaken to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I should have put it more like there is one ultimate source God. And then we're like, maybe, or we're maybe like lower level gods. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like Odin, Zeus or, or something right. like that. I mean, I guess Zeus yep. is maybe not the right one, but you know, like a lower level creative force. Yep. Our, our real essence is that God source. That's, that's who we really are. That, that, um, indescribable, what I call timeless luminosity. That's, that's who we really are. That's who all the gods are. That's who all all beings of every sort that's who they everybody is and the only reason we find ourselves in these different states of mind is because of our own ignorance of that light source that god source if we if we could awaken then then we wouldn't have a care in the world we'd realize that that oh this is just something that that we've fabricated for ourselves and for others I don't know a lot about Buddhism, but does it teach that there is one source and we are all an extension or part of that source? Sort of. It doesn't exactly use those words, but um, we are all, I use the term Dharmakaya. So that Dharmakaya is that ineffable condition, that timeless luminosity that really cannot be described. Now that is everything that encompasses absolutely everything so it's um that's that's our real condition and so buddhism is not so much about teaching uh ideas about this or that as it is it's a path for awakening our heart and mind so what I've said in the past, and it, it is a little bit controversial among some, uh, some Buddhist um, circles that I've been in, uh, is that the, um, the ultimate uh, reality, you can't actually point to it. What Buddha Shakyamuni taught was a path to find yourself in the ultimate reality. So it was just a, it was a path. And he wasn't the only Buddha that's ever existed either. There have been numerous Buddhas over, over, you know, eons. Um, the, the, the originator of the Bon tradition, uh, uh, he was, there was a, a Buddha 
16,000 years ago that the Bon tradition in, in Tibet was founded upon. So, so then, um, so then later Buddha Shakyamuni came, that was uh, Buddha Shenrab, I think his name was. And um, the, the Buddha, then Buddha Shakyamuni, who was a real person, there's lots of historical records. He was a son of a, of a king. Um, he, he came later and uh, his teachings were a little bit different. So it's, there's, it's not just one way to open your heart and mind. There's, there's numerous, there's infinite number of ways, but the essence of what Buddha Shakyamuni taught is to open your heart and mind. So you can do that uh, utilizing any spiritual path. It's not, you don't have to become a Buddhist to, uh, to open your heart and mind. It's, you need to find ways that make sense to you and then, then do that. And, uh, Buddhism, I, I think, is well suited because it doesn't teach blind faith. It it teaches you to question everything and to to uh, get rid of the obstacles, to conquer the demons, to get past all the things that are clouding your vision. To it's it's a path to awakening to truth, and nobody can tell you what that truth is. You have to discover it for yourself. So the path itself is is um is not that's not the answer the path is that's uh something that's there uh and numerous numerous ways to open your heart and mind to the ineffable reality the the truth that is already here but we can't see it because we live in a state of ignorance all right well you've mentioned your book and i actually think you have a couple books can you tell us about your books yes um, the first book that I wrote is Timeless Luminosity, and on the back cover, I've got that same painting that I just uh, just held up. Uh, this, uh, I talk about my near-death experience, but then it's also uh, numerous poems that are meant to help people awaken. So that's that's the main point here. It's to inspire people to find a way to awaken. Um, I, I did describe just what we're talking about here today in the, the first couple chap two, three chapters. And, uh, and then um, I went to the 112 poems that um, are, are there uh, for that. Would you like me to read a poem out of here, a short one? I don't have time. I'm already time. Over, I'm I'm already over time. <laughs> okay. Now the second book, much much larger book, is called The Frog, and I in this I also very in uh, have a very in depth explanation of my near death experience. But I tie this into my spiritual practice, and I actually talk about uh, my experiences as uh, once having been a Christian, once having been an agnostic. Uh, exploring shamanistic practices and then ultimately becoming a Buddhist and a Dzogchen practitioner. And so this, the inspiration of this is the, um, uh, I was meditating and trying to, I mean, I had this sense of all these past lifetimes and I remembered uh, some of, I remembered my previous lifetime. I remember I died when I was a, a small child in, in a time of war and I meditated, and I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to know who I was when Buddha Shakyamuni 
uh, walk the earth. I wondered, I was hoping I was his uh, disciple, one of his disciples. And uh, I meditated on that. And I, I remembered this lifetime where I could see him walking in the forest at night, but I was just a frog. <laughs> and so this is kind of a, a quirky, humorous book about past lifetimes. And uh, has it also has some poetry in it, but it's it's mostly this uh, just hopping around from different stories, and it's really helping people to get into uh, what it feels like to have spiritual practice that's uh, somewhat intense, which mine has always been. And uh, and this is so this is meant to give people confidence in their own spiritual practice. It's not meant to necessarily make people become a Buddhist. It's meant to to just have some confidence in what you are doing right now and, and do that. And it's, and realize that it's very precious. So, hmm. so that's what that is. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and either ask you questions or communicate with you. Are you open to that? And if so, how can they connect with you? Sure. I guess, uh, I guess that'd be fine. Um, you, you could email me, I suppose. Uh, I suppose that would be fine. Uh, it's at uh, bobaho at gmail.com, B-O-B-A-H-O at gmail. All right. Do you have a website or a YouTube channel? You know, I do not. Um, I, well, I have, a, I have a website that is uh, my, I have a website for my architectural practice. Hmm. And you can go to that. I have received communication from people through that. There's a submission form. Uh, and that website is uh, kirkhouse.com, K-I-R-K-A-U-S.com. And that's, uh, I, I, that's how I actually make a living is as, a, as an architect, not as a speaker or as a uh, writer. All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Just really value your own spiritual practice. Uh, make sure that everything... Uh, you are doing is surrounded by light. Uh, use the uh, teachings of great masters uh, throughout time uh, with the, following the teachings of love and compassion. And then just do what's right for you. If you need to let something go, let it go. If you need to adopt something new, adopt it. But have total respect for your own spiritual practice because it's so important and we all have that kernel of wisdom in us we're all part of the same timeless luminosity so just uh, persevere don't don't give up don't give up on that it's too precious well thank you for that message and bob thank you so much for being our guest today thanks for watching the jeff mara podcast I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.